0: On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Bartell Me Something Good, we'll be discussing Cannonball, Paul Bartell's follow-up to Death Race 2000 and his other cross-country car racing movie starring David Carradine. But is it as entertaining as its predecessor? You'll have to listen to find out. back to another edition of bartell me something good a podcast about the life and work of actor and filmmaker paul bartell i'm your host adriana gober and i'm joined once again by my bartell casting comrades liam o'donnell and doug tilly how have you both been doing i mean it's been a, a long time since we are last recording together liam how about you how are things with you
1: I mean, other than being near death's door, I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, you know, famously, I, in college, uh, contracted a case of bronchitis that lasted six months and almost, like, wrecked my whole second semester of that year. Like, I just almost, like, failed out of college because I had bronchitis for so long. Uh, and so... This is not as bad as that, but it's the next worst case of bronchitis I've ever had, and it sucks, and I hate it, and it makes me want to jump into a pit and cover myself in dirt. But otherwise, I'm actually pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> For those who are like regular Cinema
2: Board* listeners, our most recent episode that you would have heard before this one was recorded like two weeks ago, and we were already talking about Liam being sick. He's still sick. It's two weeks later. If anything, Liam, you're worse. I don't know what the hell is going on, and I had to force, <laughs> I had to force you to do this recording because otherwise we have no other episodes to put out there.
1: I know. People, I think they do know that we usually record way ahead of time because Doug Not is so way ahead, but a couple of episodes. Pretty far ahead compared yeah. to my other podcast where we just miss dates and forget to record for a whole fucking month, you know?
0: <laughs> this bronchitis yeah. just does not want to let go.
1: I mean, I don't know. There's nothing. I did a round of, of steroids, and uh, that's bad for diabetes, and I did it, and I'm still not better. So I don't know. I've just been drinking mucinics like it's my job, and- hoping for the best
2: but now you're super ripped and your forehead is <laughs> <constant>. <laughs> well
1: you know when i was taking the steroids someone did say like oh man you should maybe like lift some weights and i'm like bro is I that what they i told you no seriously someone said <laughs> can't it like breathe sir <laughs> i know i was like bro I, 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 I you, can't, might, I you can't. might as well
0: smoke some cigarettes while you <laughs> yeah. It's like i,
1: I, I just want to lay on the couch and go to sleep what are you talking about
0: yeah man. i'm sorry we am i i really hope that you uh get through this sooner rather than later.
1: Well, hey, we get to talk about Paul Bartel though, so that's nice.
0: That is true. Um Doug, what about you? How have you been doing?
2: I'm doing really well. Uh I mean, it, it this time of year, I really like fall. I I know that that's not a very controversial okay, thing in our circle. I know. Uh but I enjoy this time of year. It's beautiful where I am here in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. My work schedule has been very heavy, though I did recently have a whole week off, and the whole the plan was to record a lot during that week, get a little ahead. But then Liam ended up getting fucking sick, and it screwed up all the plans. So basically, I've just been relaxing and enjoying life while I can.
0: Well, that sounds nice.
1: <laughs> I like thinking I, uh... of I like thinking of Doug as like getting stoked on like pumpkin spice latte and wrapping himself <laughs> I in some mean... sort of like you know uh, a shawl or something you know like i just like like,
2: walking my dog in the leaves okay that's nice it's bringing a dog to the leaves. yeah
1: i I mean here's the thing doug chicago it's like fall is just um summer part two until it becomes winter so it was 76 degrees today and it's supposed to be like 30 some tomorrow so you know that, that you know
2: what i just figured out liam why you're why you're so so down right now it's because that red wave didn't come to pass and you thought it was going to be a red tsunami, red
1: fucking <laughs> and you were so tsunami. bummed about. I was going to ride it on my boogie board. Oh boy, you're such a jerk.
2: Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I uh, I reached a pretty significant personal milestone, which I think you both know about at this point. But I'm a big fan of the filmmaker Reiner Werner Fassbinder, and I just recently, finally. Saw all forty-two of his, uh, you know, feature-length films, TV movies, shorts, and miniseries. So that's a that's a that was an ongoing project of mine for over a decade. And I mean, uh, that's finally amazing. complete. Yeah, that's, I
2: mean, especially because the, especially over the past ten years, they some of those films were were ten years ago much more difficult to find. Thankfully, exactly getting a little bit easier. I mean, you should have you know, done it chronologically and recorded a podcast about every single one of them, but I mean, I still... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Doug, because when I was thinking about pitching a show to you guys for Cinema Smorgasbord, the first thing I thought of was a Fossbender show, but then I very quickly nixed that idea because it's, it's frankly a, a big ask to expect you guys to watch 42 things and then you know, at the rate the, the, <laughs> that these series go, like it, it would it would take us years to get through it all. So Gee, I... we should
2: call this the Big Ask Podcast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Fassbender is, of course, uh, you know, much more well known as a filmmaker than Paul Bartel. I think so. I think Bartel is maybe in some respects a better subject for a podcast like this because he is underexplored as a filmmaker. So I'm, I'm glad I... we decided on de- Bartel.
2: You know, it's funny that you say that because I I do agree to a point, but also the people who are likely to be listening to this right now are, you know, they're probably, there's a good number of them saying, fast who? Who are we talking about? Because obviously they've come here for the Paul Bartel and Paul Bartel's most well-known movies, I think in our circles in particular are very, very well-known. But I mean, as we, as we continue into the eighties in particular, a lot of Paul, Paul Bartel stuff that is not exactly picked over in the podcast world.
0: That's a good point. At any rate, I'm excited <laughs> to be talking about uh, tonight's film. Let's get into it, shall we? Uh, when we come back from our break, we'll be discussing Cannonball!
1: Cannonball. No cannonball is going to be passing you like you weren't even there. Anyone can enter and anything goes in a squealing, smashing outlaw race across America. I want to make a little bet on a trans-American Grand Prix. Can you handle $20,000? Gentlemen know each other, don't you? Mr.
0: Redman, Mr. Buckman. I believe we run into each other once or twice. Racing across the country from L.A. to New York, a plethora of exotic cars carry contestants hoping to win a very large sum of money. Cannonball released in 1976 and distributed by new world pictures was directed by paul bartell and written by paul bartell and don simpson was edited by mort tuber and just like last time with death race 2000 it was shot by tak fujimoto uh, with a score by david a axelrod and i'm not going to go through the entire cast because it's a long cast list a lot of director cameos um so I'll just name some of the, the the principal cast. We have, of course, David Carradine as the star. He plays Roy Cannonball Buckman. We have Bill McKinney as his nemesis, Cade Redman. Veronica Hamill as Linda Maxwell, Cannonball's parole officer and love interest. Beef himself, Garrett Graham, <laughs> as Perman Waters. And he Garrett Graham is also in one of my favorite Voyager episodes, Death Wish. Uh, we have another Voyager connection coming up in the next episode, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Uh, we've got Robert Carradine as Jim Crandall, the great Mary Warren as Sandy Harris or Girl in the Van number one. James Keach, brother of Stacey Keach, of course, as Wolf Messe, the West German professional. <laughs> That's how he's credited. <laughs> I think he's just annoying character, but uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Dick Miller as Benny Buckman, Cannonball's older brother. And our director and co-writer, Paul Bartell, as gangster Lester Marks. And, uh, you know, we have a number of cameos in this movie as well. At certain points, we see Joe Dante and Alan Arkish. We see Roger Corman. Uh, We see Bartell's co-writer, Don Simpson, at one point. And in one of my favorite scenes of the movie, Martin Scorsese and Sliced Alone have uh, little cameo appearances. I'm sure we'll be discussing that in a bit. So I want to start by just reading a quotation from Paul Bartel from an issue of Film Comment in 1982, because I think it provides some much-needed context to where, uh, regarding where he was coming from in making this movie. Um, so this is from the a September-October 1982 issue of Film Comment in an article titled Paul Bartel's Guilty Pleasures. And this was published around the time that Eating Raoul had been released and playing in theater. So it's just Bartel reflecting on his career up to that point. So on Cannonball, he says, I worked a year for Corman on Death Race 2000 for a big 5,000 bucks. So when it was finished, I desperately needed money. The only thing anybody wanted from me was another car picture, hence Cannonball. Corbin had drummed into me the idea that if Death Race had been harder and more real, it would have been more popular, and like a fool, I believed him. I am not, and never have been, very much interested in cars and racing, so I decided to load Cannonball up with cameos and character gimmicks that did interest me. And uh, there's more to the quote, but I'm going to stop it there because I think that kind of gives us everything we need to know. Because um, I think, and and you may or may not disagree with me, but uh, I think the tone of this movie is very confused and schizophrenic. And I think that kind of makes more sense when you consider the fact that, you know, here you have a filmmaker who is tasked with making a movie about a subject that he has absolutely zero interest in. So... You know, how do you deal with that? Well, you you make it interesting for yourself by injecting elements of your personality or the things that you are interested in. So, you know, we we see Bartell write himself into the movie as this sort of effete gangster Cole Porter wannabe character. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then also, you know, we have, I guess, what could be described as David Carradine eye candy, which i'm sure we'll get into more later um and then also you know you have this this uh, very arch sense of humor uh, pop up throughout that is very much the kind of bartell sensibility i guess we can start talking about just our our general impressions of the movie so we i will start with you you know what what did you make of this movie did you like it did you not like it um what are what are some of your general thoughts
1: um, I'm wondering if, uh, uh, David Carradine's bulge got an official credit in the film. <laughs> it gives David
0: Bowie's bulging labyrinth the run for his money, I think.
1: Yeah, but I think it's more natural. I mean, it just, I, Oh yeah. It,
0: it's, it,
1: it's just that, you know, like when his shirt comes off, that's a little like, it was a little like, oh, okay, you know, he's just going to wear this hoodie and no shirt, whatever. But there's Right, just... but let's
0: be clear, even before that, the shirt, like half the the top buttons yeah, were undone. Yeah, so yeah. chest hair was on full display. And this is exactly what I mean when I talk about the David Carradine eye candy. Because yeah, yeah there's uh it is very much but you the, can feel the Bartel gaze there.
1: I, think. I felt like the first couple times I noticed the bulge, it could have been like <laughs> well that's convenient, but not intentional. But by the, like the middle of the movie I just thought I get it, man. We're we're dealing with a with a well-hugged <laughs> gentleman here. Is this really a thing? But like, I kind of loved it too. Like, I, I think my response of being like, "Oh, there we go again. Oh, there it is again," was like just me responding to what the movie was doing, which is like you said, making this uh, guy sort of the the eye candy of the movie, and I I love that. Um, I didn't know what to expect going into this movie. And I think it's easy to compare this film the way, say, uh, uh, Roger Ebert did to any number of uh, other 70s car movies. You know, this is a whole thing, right? Of like, you know, we're, we're doing the car thing. Uh, and, and some people, because they're fans of Paul Martel, might go into this wanting to compare this movie to Death Race. But for me, this is not anything like Death Race. Like, all the things that I enjoy about Death Race have nothing to do with cars, really. It has to do with the ridiculousness of Death Race and the silliness of Death Race. And at no point am I like, also, Death Race is, like, one of the most visceral action movies ever made. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm fucking there for. But Cannonball's a little bit more of that. Now, it's not entirely that, and I think, uh, uh, Adriana, I'm really glad you pointed out there is this kind of sense of humor, but the sense of the, – the arch sense of humor I don't think is as um, present as it could be. It's there, but it's, it's not, like, huge, and sometimes it feels like it goes against other parts of the movie, you know? So, like, I don't know if the – big dramatic pileup is meant to be funny or not. Like, I found it funny, but then parts of it I'm like, is this supposed to be funny or is this supposed to be not funny? I I was having trouble, like, interpreting that moment, and and I think you're right to point out how schizophrenic it is in tone. Um, so, so there's a part of me, to, to get back to what I was saying, that feels like this is just essentially – at a very kind of objective level, a bad movie. Like I just even just in the editing, like some of the some of the consistency of shots is very confusing. Um, even that very uh, uh, fun series of explosions that lead to the giant kind of pileup is edited in a way that's very confusing at times. Like just at sort of a basic level, parts of this movie don't work. But then again, I kind of had fun with it. I kind of enjoyed it. I, I just don't care about this kind of movie, like this like race across America, which is so funny because we just had an episode where we're all talking about loving death race. But like the normal person version that is this thing is like it's just not something I really care about, you know, with, you know, exceptions being maybe like Vanishing Point or like uh, what is it? Uh, Bullet? Uh, oh, well, but I'm okay with Bullet. Um, I was going to say more like a dirty, uh, is it Crazy Mary Dirty Larry or crazy? I think it's the other way around. Yeah, okay. Crazy.
2: Dirty Mary Crazy Larry.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that one. Um, so there's there's examples of, of it, but this, this movie, Cannonball, tends to lean more into man, this sounds more insulting than I mean it, but if there had been a Dom DeLuise, uh, uh cameo, it might have worked. You know what I mean? Like... That's just not something I'm stoked on usually,
2: <laughs> Liam. Then you should be very excited to when we reach uh, when we reach Cannonball Run in our I Jackie Chan podcast. Say, no, I'm going <laughs> to be very bummed. I hate
1: Cannonball. Run, although I'll take watch.
0: Cannonball Two just because that's the one that has Charles Nelson Riley. But fair, 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 fair. Anyway, um, no, I think that all makes sense, Liam. Although I have to disagree in, in that I I do think there are similarities between this and Death Race Two Thousand at least on a superficial level.
1: There are definitely similarities, but it's not. What well, uh, this movie doesn't have the stuff that I love the most about Death Race in it. Well, yeah, it it's like if you took summary. all the
0: things that make Death Race two thousand interesting and entertaining and remove them, then you get a right, Cannonball. Exactly.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. now that's an insulting thing to say.
0: about this I, movie. I know. <laughs> I don't want. I don't quite fully believe that because I did. I don't think this is a terrible movie by any means. But if, if you were given the choice of watching Death Race two thousand or Cannonball, I, th- I think you would choose Death Race two thousand.
2: Well, why don't you ask me if that would be the case?
0: Doug is out of the case.
2: (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) But here's, here's a kind of a thought experiment. What if Paul Bartell had made Cannonball first and then Death Race 2000? I feel like this movie would have a much better reputation, but because it was specifically presented, not as a sequel to Death Race 2000, but certainly Paul Bartell's follow-up with David Carradine in it, with you know the Roger Corman uh, connection and all of that, I feel like people were being set up, and still are to some extent, set up to expect something that they were never going to get because as we saw on the last episode of this podcast, The things that we most kind of connect with 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 Death Race 2000 were some of the things that Paul Bartel was least interested in, like the violence and even some of the satirical elements to some extent. Uh, And a lot of that is kind of stripped away here. But I have to say, and this is something connected to what you were saying, Liam, this structure of a race across an area of land, across a country or whatever, and it's all these disparate people from different backgrounds and different vehicles driving, like wacky races, like that sort of shit— I really do enjoy that as a structure, yeah, even though the movies, even though the movies themselves tend to not be things that I enjoy like all the way through. But whether it's it's a Mad 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 World or Cannibal Run or Speed Zone or Rat Race, all that sort of shit, I, it just to me that structure is enough that I always have a good time, even if I don't love the movie behind it. And that's the feeling that I had here. I just had a smile on my face the whole time, simply because you really did feel. Th- to a certain extent, and this might be a really unfair comparison, this is almost like Paul Bartel's Gremlins 2, where he had a little bit more money and a little bit more credibility and a little bit more freedom in Roger Corman's eyes, so he decided to kind of go buck wild and just make it very self-indulgent to a certain extent. It, this movie is not as good as Gremlins 2, don't get me wrong, but it still it has that kind of feeling of it where it's just like, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense, it you kind of get the sense sometimes that people are just making up their own dialogue. Certainly, that German character feels like he's just ad-libbing everything, and it's very irritating. But it does feel like that everyone involved had a lot of freedom to kind of come up with their own characters to some extent. And the fact that you see all these familiar faces, and even people who maybe weren't so familiar at the time, but like the the fact that they there's a there's a whole scene where Alan Arkish and Joe Dante just show up to you know give <laughs> David Carradine another car so he can continue on his way. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's or it's multiple very...
0: scenes where Paul Bartel sits at the piano and and plays and sings. And some,
2: and plays <laughs> a, yeah, exactly. Plays an entire song. You can tell that he was doing it because he really wanted to do it. I have to say, by the way, I think Paul Bartel gives his best performance in this. I think he's actually very good as an actor. I think I've knocked him a couple of times, but I think I don't he know doesn't really best
0: performance. I think he. <laughs> Certainly something like eating Raul, but yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, best performance that we've seen up to this point. Sure, sure, sure. So what I'll say is that I I had a lot of fun with it. This was actually my first time watching it. I kind of held back on it because it doesn't have the strongest reputation. I will say that you can tell as the movie goes along that... Paul Bartel seems less and less interested with the race itself. I mean, it ends with, like, a fart, right? I mean, it's like, it's like who gives a <laughs> shit? Once they reach, and it's so funny, because we were talking on the Death Race 2000 episode about the fact that you could tell, like, you're a lot more familiar with the surroundings, so you know that they're not going through all of the locations in America, but it's right. in the future. Although they
0: did shoot in New York this time. We see the exterior of the actual Lincoln Tunnel. Even so.
2: as ignorant as I am, I'm like, they drove, like, they're supposed to be, California, and then they're driving across the country, and they're going to end up in New York, except the movie is all Californians until the final 10 minutes, and then it's just New York. <laughs> I mean, I could see that. They don't go through any other place. Uh, it, it does just feel, it feels like a um, test version of what Cannibal Run would be, which is basically yeah. what it is to a certain extent. I've never seen the Gum Gumball Rally, the movie that came out the same yeah, year as this. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, but obviously, oh. it's the same sort of idea as well.
1: Weirdly, uh, but... weirdly, I have considering I don't like these kind of movies. Like for me, for me, Doug, like if you take out Paul Bartel, which is silly to say, but let's just think about it. You take out Paul <laughs> Bartel, you take out Garrett Graham, you take out Mary Warrenoff, right? You still have Carradine in there, right? You still have Dick Miller in there. I should like the movie. I'm fucking out, man. I can't, like, like honestly, like. I I love the, the, the all the ridiculous shit with uh, Garrett Graham as the as the country singer, I loved. Oh, and also, uh, the other part I'm forgetting, and it's not all of it, but some of the bits with the young couple who wins, who is that again? Yeah, Robert Carradine. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Some of that stuff works, too.
0: Robert Carradine and Belinda Belaski. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, some of their stuff works. Some of it doesn't. But some of their stuff works, too, like those moments. But, like, honestly, like, I'm I I sang the praises of his bulge, but for the most part, I don't care about Cara Dean's character in this movie one fucking minute. I, I like the whole time I'm watching it, going, "Am I supposed to?" And then the dramatic, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, death of his of of uh, what's his name? What's the name of his, the the guy? Zippo. Zippo. Zippo
0: yeah, his I could
1: not have given less of a fuck, and it, and that it, considering the tone of this movie him taking a bullet in the fucking forehead is a pretty big dramatic shift oh, of how yeah. the movie's going so it should like hit me in some way and when it happened I just went oh okay like it I, it didn't matter it had no meaning for me but all the parts with Paul Bartel it's so good it's like it's like the driving is like mildly interesting and then there's enough silly characters that I enjoyed it but the idea of like For you, Doug, where you're like, oh, this is another good example of a format that works. I'm like, well, you take out some of the accoutrement of this movie and I'm bored out of my mind. No,
2: no. I, I Let me correct myself then. It's not the format that works. It's the only the format that you can basically hang anything else on and I'll still find it entertaining because of the format right? Crazy. I mean, this is not That's an ideal indeed. example of it. I mean, I think Rat Race is a better movie than this, and that has fucking smash mouth. Uh, but I do <laughs> want to say I didn't mention it already, and because I was being very complimentary, I forgot to mention it. This was a much more expensive movie, three times as much than Death Race 2000, so I don't understand why the production value seems so much less. So much less. It really does.
0: And even the the cinematography, like,
2: Fujimoto shot both movies,
0: but this movie just seems so much more amateur.
2: Yeah, it feels really slapped together, and the day-for-night stuff is bad, like, really, really
0: bad.
1: I couldn't Uh, tell. I I really couldn't tell. I saw a
0: letterbox, like, multiple people pointing that out, too. Well, that's what I was...
1: I got to the point where I thought, is it Bad day for night, or did they forget that the last shot was night and they just shot this in the day? And they're just like, "That's fine, it'll work." I mean, either way, right? Yeah, I I just started to think like, "Is this an well?" Because I assumed like, "Oh, this day for night isn't working." And then at one point, there were multiple scenes where it really was dark, like it, it, like it it felt Mm -hmm. dark. And then the next shot, it wasn't. And I thought, "Is this an editing issue?" Am I assuming that? Like that 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 scene where Dick
0: Miller gets beaten up by yes, 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 goons. Yeah, it's like nighttime. uh,
1: when the mean guy calls his hillbilly friends, he's at night, and he calls his friends, and then his friends leave the clubhouse. That's right. And Mm -hmm. it's daytime. And I I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like I was just so confused.
2: The one I think of is the David Carradine when he falls asleep and crashes his car, which is a very strange sequence anyway. He gets out, and he walks, and you can hear crickets. So you're obviously supposed to think that it's supposed to be at night, but it's like clearly not nighttime. It's it's just, a, it, there's just a lot of technical issues. And even there's just like lots of weird editing errors all the way through and weird insert shots. It just feels very slapdash. And I mean, we know that Death Race 2000, it was like a low budget production that everyone was like working into just to try to get it to, keep, to hold together. But this feels more like a low budget production than that does.
0: Yeah, and this is, this is, is no reflection on you know, the team that made this movie. But the transfer that's on Tubi is really bad, too.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that, that's where I watched this. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only place it's currently streaming. But anyway, uh, I'm just going to read some, some behind-the-scenes trivia on Cannonball. It had a $1 million budget, apparently. Uh, and it was a four-way co-production between New World Pictures, Gustav Burns Harbor Properties, Sam Gelfman's Cross Country Productions, and Hong Kong Mughal Run Run Shaw. You're
2: telling me they couldn't have put one of the cars to have, like, Alexander Fusheng in there? Or, (laughs) you know, some other, one of the, just a Five Deadly Venoms car (laughs) driving as well? Yeah,
0: for real. (laughs) But yeah, so this pretty stacked production. And of course, it's inspired by a real-life event. The Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Which it was kind of a, an unoffic- unofficial, unsanctioned car race that was run five times in the 1970s. It went from New York, and Darien, Connecticut, um, onto the Portfolio Inn in Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, I think it kind of inspired other kind of similar races around the country. Uh, it's a really
2: interesting, like this culture of the idea of being able to do this seems so foreign to me at this yeah. point. Just the idea that, because I was, I was reading all about it today because I was just very, very curious about how it caught people's attention. I guess the idea was they ran this race, they didn't tell anybody, you know, it was very kind of um, only people who are really into this particular sort of racing knew about it and then what they wrote it up in this car magazine and that's where people kind of took to it and got really interested but like they weren't taking it seriously even though they kept track of the numbers and stuff but they didn't care the jo- the idea of it is like they have these super souped up fancy you know weird cars and they're going as you know far as they can but it's so funny to see how that gets translated into movie form like it, it there was no one has ever had a serious injury with the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Some people got hurt with the gumball rally, which was uh, uh, inspired by it. But like in this movie, <laughs> you can see why at the beginning, the police are so concerned about it, because it ends up having a 30-car pileup. I know they tell us in the movie that people just got hurt and went to the hospital, but that's impossible with what we see in the movie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I know as far as how people learn about uh, this, the actual Cannonball run, I know that Don Simpson, who is Bartell's co-writer, on um, cannonball. He read about it in an article in Time magazine in 1975, mm. um, I believe. And he approached Bartell and kind of pitched this idea. And, and Bartell thought it had a lot of commercial viability. So that's kind of how the ball got rolling on that. But yeah, I think they uh, tried
2: to bring it to MGM first, right? They, did, they they were going to actually try to make a actual, you know, larger budgeted movie. It makes you wonder, though, about the gumball rally. You know that the movie came out the same year in 1976. You know, we always wonder about the synchronicity about these ideas, but it did seem like something that was kind of in the in the air at the time that people wanted to make yeah. movies based on this. Don Simpson, of course, the famous producer of Top Gun and a bunch of Jerry Bruckheimer stuff, and uh, in the 90s, uh, in some ways, he probably ended up being the most financially successful person involved with this movie outside of maybe Sylvester Stallone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was I was on his Wikipedia page earlier today because um, there's a in that Paul Bartel biography that I mentioned in the first episode. There's a little uh, little section on Cannonball, and uh, apparently Paul Bartell had expressed regret that he never slept with Don Simpson because I guess <laughs> Don Simpson they were in somewhere in Europe like that Cannonball had been playing at a film festival and they shared a hotel room and and Paul Bartel was talking about how Don Simpson told him that he slept with men while he was in prison. And so I guess Paul Bartel was like, damn, I really should have taken advantage of that <laughs> Allegedly, I think it's like a it's a story that somebody relayed to the author of this biography. Um, But yeah, I just found that very comical So then I went to Don, Don Simpson's Wikipedia And frankly, he seems like a tool But
2: <laughs> Yeah, well I mean, if he also passed away very early I think he was well known as someone who indulged in a lot of different things Yes In the mid-90s The weird thing about this movie is that it isn't a sequel to Death Race 2000 Right? You think that that right. would be the natural thing but, but Roger Corman already had a sequel to Death Race 2000 At least conceptually which is 1978's Death Sport, which also starred David Carradine. That one was directed by Alan Arkish and Nicholas N- Nisifer, I think his name is pronounced. Uh, have either of you ever seen Death Sport? I have not. How about yourself? Never, Ian? never. I saw it on 16mm years ago, projected. Uh, and it's interesting, but it's it, as disconnected from Death Race 2000. As this movie is, it takes place in the future, that one does, and it has kind of like this futuristic game. It's a lot closer to the movie that was the most direct inspiration for Death Race 2000, which is Rollerball, than it is to Death Race 2000. I don't know why they wouldn't have just done more of the same. You think Roger Corman, yeah. of all people, would have done that. In some ways, it's sort of, sort of admirable that these people, like, that even Paul Bertel was like, well, I could do this, and it probably w- would be successful, but I'd rather do something that's a little bit more. Me, but then again, Cannonball doesn't feel outside of the really indulgent stuff. Doesn't necessarily feel like the movie he would have made if he had carte blanche power.
0: No, I mean he wanted to at that time. He really wanted to make a comedy, but he just didn't have the money. So he wound up doing Cannonball, and then Is of this course he did Is... eventually <laughs> get to do a comedy because Eating Raoul was his follow up. Right? Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, a- allegedly he did have plans to do his own sequel to Death Race, uh, which I think. Was tentatively called Franken Car,
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but you know, Corman kind of put the kibosh on that. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Doug. I think I talked over you. Like you brought up the point that you know, Cannonball is sort of a comedy, but then that that just goes back to our point about how the the tone of this movie is sort of you know like what is it?
1: <laughs> because
0: in... and it it it. You know, on the surface is sort of a more grounded version of this Death Race 2000 story of this cross-country, very deadly car race. Um, But yet it it is so cornball at points. It's also very sanitized.
2: You know, that's, yes. that's the thing that I was most surprised by. Not that it was like, I didn't expect the levels of violence of Death Race 2000. But the fact is that it kind of feels like it's maybe not a family movie because there is still some sex in it. And there is still, still some some offensive language in it. And of course, a bunch of people get blown up until the final <laughs> quarter of the movie. But it just, it, it feels like it doesn't have any interest in all, at all in being exploitative. Which is No, it certainly weird. doesn't
0: have the level of, of, of blood and gore that Death Race 2000 does. But you
2: think Roger Corman, at the very least, would have demanded certain things, right? It even even when it comes to that pileup, it kind of feels like they were like three quarters of the way through the movie. And it's was like, oh, right, we need to have a lot of explosions. So we're just going to pack them all in at one scene. Because up to that point, you know, you see cars wipe out and you do see, you know, a couple of explosions and, and car stunts here and there. But this certainly isn't like a major car stunt movie. Except for that one over the over the overpass jump that happens in this.
0: I could just watch a whole movie of, of David Carradine and his little red bandana around his neck and pink hoodie <laughs> and bare hairy chest.
2: <laughs> I will say it was interesting to see David Carradine consistently lose in this movie. You know, usually someone of his stature, like he would never lose a fist fight or something like that. But there's that part where they have that big uh, him and Redmond have that big fight inside the convenience store. Oh, yeah. And, and Derek David Carradine gets trashed, and that even has to pay for all the damage that he
0: yeah, did. Yeah, <laughs> and then Redmond like, kicks in the lights on his car. Yeah, actually, like, throughout the movie, we see, like, you know, he gets T-boned at one point and That's sp- right. spins off-road, and then his car gets really fucked up, so he has to go get that new car from um, Joe Dante and Alan Arkish, Uh. And then, yeah, so that's actually a really good point, Doug. We see his character uh, cons- consistently, you know, f- fall on his face, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. At several points.
2: Which, I mean, it's just not something I'm used to seeing with any David Carradine character who usually... Right, especially if, like, yeah.
0: look at Fra- a character like Frankenstein. He's, mm-hmm. you know, the stoic uh, anti-hero.
2: Mm-hmm
0: and his character his character is a little bit more real i guess in this movie or just flawed
2: it's a funny kind of flawed though right because it starts out with him oh he's a criminal he's sleeping with his parole officer and then you find out later <laughs> which... that he went <laughs> which yeah there's some uh, some issues there but then you find out that he he went to jail for something he didn't even do because he right. knew his friend yeah he took the fall the for
0: his friend yeah cuz he couldn't he he couldn't hack it in prison
2: it is i mean it is a it is a very odd character in the sense that he's supposed to be have a lot of integrity and that is the thing that we're supposed to most like about him but i kind of wanted some other characters to win more than him as i was watching the movie
0: who did you want to win more than i think th- I, I think cannibal. robert Carradine
2: uh, and his uh, oh, uh, yeah. girlfriend i they think that would charming. have been a- Hey, you know what? Mary Warnov as, as and the other two girls in the van, I wouldn't have mind seeing yeah. them.
0: Win as I was going to say like if I had to ride along with any of these people, I want to be in the van of hot ladies.
1: <laughs> I was pretty stoked on the van Driven of Driven by
0: Ho- Mary Warnoff, yeah. I,
1: I was pretty stoked on the van of hot ladies until they uh actually had sex with the cops. I was hoping they would get the cops oh, in the van we, um, and you then cannot, murder them. I
0: can't tell you how dis- like upset I was at that sequence <laughs> like I was like,
1: oh, man, they're going to get him in the van and then they're going to murder those cops. And then instead, they're just like, oh, you know, whatever. We'll have fun. And, you know, now I did like the guy who blew up the cop car. That was a good (laughs) move. That was was a solid move. Also, the ending where he drops off the car at the valet was
0: ridiculous. (laughs) And you're talking about the uh, Stanley Bennett Clay as Botel Morris. Yeah, there's that whole scene in the beginning where he shows up he's been hired to drive this older couple's car from mm-hmm. California to New York city. And they're shocked that he's black or I shouldn't say shocked. They're surprised that he's black. Cause I guess they had not been corresponding with him face to face. And that, that was, that scene was a little bit weird. Uh, and then, yeah, his car, his car gets fucked up throughout <laughs> the movie. I, mean, uh,
1: I do like because it's very much a rich old person car. So the fact that he's driving it in this race, yeah, is isn't funny, it a Winking Continental? <laughs> is that yeah. what that is? Yeah, I love cars like that. By
2: the way, <laughs> and while the performance isn't anything special, it is funny to see Carl Gottlieb, the fucking writer of Jaws, show up and <laughs> try to cheat his way into winning the fucking race by just taking a plane across the country.
0: Yeah. That's that scene in the beginning where he's with his family, yeah. and it's just like it's just like very, very like weird, idiosyncratic line reading, where he's just like everything I'm doing, I'm doing for my family, <laughs> There's just something to that effect. Which I mean, it, it's intentional. Uh, it, it's just really funny, and then I just, like, yeah, we c- see
2: clearly a non actor getting this central role in this
0: movie. Yeah. <laughs> And there's this whole other subplot that we haven't really talked about, which is that Cannonball's brother, played by Dick Miller, is a gambler, and he is kind of in cahoots with Paul Bartell's character, Lester Marks, who is a gangster. Uh, I I think I think Bartell like lends him money or something that he he bets on his brother winning this race. The criminal aspect
2: the- of it is a little bit confusing. Because it is
0: confusing. <laughs>
2: he's continually trying to borrow money to bet more on his brother. And what he's then doing throughout the entire movie is trying to help his brother win, help him cheat to win, even though David Carradine isn't aware that this is happening yeah, the whole time. Yeah, he has time. no and, idea. And while trying to help him, he fucking hurts him many, many times over, including killing his best friend.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's because he's working with this schmuck who is completely inept well i shouldn't say completely inept because at the end he does successfully assassinate a driver it's just the wrong driver no it's the right driver but it's it's well, cannonball's best friend
2: in the process of assassinating that person he then ends up assassinating himself because the car that runs his <laughs> yeah. car yeah the one that he's for some reason just laying under he has is- he jacked up his car so he can lay under it to use a sniper rifle. And, of course, then someone hits the car and it falls on him and kills him. Probably the most gruesome thing in the entire movie.
0: Yeah. Okay. What else is there to talk about about this movie?
2: <laughs> we can talk about the ending, if you would like.
0: I don't even remember. How does the end remind me?
2: So what happens is after... Oh, he, to-
0: he runs to the, ho- the hospital.
2: He runs to the hospital because Dick Miller... Uh, Like he wins the race, and Dick Miller is so so happy about it, and like everyone's trying to tell him about the pile up and the fact that his girlfriend got hurt, and Dick Miller's like, "Hey, just just you haven't won until you get the thing stamped. You got to get the thing stamped. You think it would be a formality? You know, I don't think the stamping is that necessary. But David Carradine, instead of getting the thing stamped, he sends his brother to what get his legs broken by Paul Bartel. That's how the movie basically ends."
1: Well, he figures out that his brother had the German guy killed, which he's incensed about. You killed the German guy. Well, which he's you...
0: really more angry about the fact that his best friend was murdered because of his brother's <laughs> no. machinations. So.
1: Within the context of the movie, he has no idea that his brother killed his best friend. He only accuses him of the German guy. And then when he realizes he killed the German guy, he leaves. And I'm like, yeah, and your friend—that's much more important. We're all happy the German guy's dead. Actually, that was a that was a gift that Dick Miller gave to you. It's it, it's more your friend's murder that we should be concerned about. The, the weird thing is how the
2: information is coming to him at the end, where people are just kind of speaking and he's picking it up, but he doesn't know what's going on for any, with any That's authority. True. He does, so, so the idea really that he's sure. like making these wild like, "What you did this? You made this happen? You it's killed like, German guy? <laughs> you killed the German guy?" And Dick Miller's like, no. Come on just, just. <laughs> I mean I can see I can see why he'd be upset About the fact that his uh, Girlfriend almost got killed <laughs> But she was okay She was all just bandaged up In the hospital
1: I mean and we know That he's right But it is not He has no actual evidence <laughs> no. And then, but then the idea that he's like, well, I know I won the race. And then he rips up the ticket. I'm like, they're going to murder your brother. Like, what are we talking about here? Also, sir, yeah. you are
2: on TV, and they are going to send you to jail for the exact reason that you weren't supposed to cross state lines at the beginning.
0: <laughs> oh, that was the yeah, other thing. I forgot What was up thing. with
2: that scene where remember like so we know that there's supposed to be a documentary crew filming and they've made a promise to the race organizer that they're not going to show any footage until after the race is finished and then there's this one scene halfway through where there's a guy in a newsroom is like it's like hey it's our footage we can show it now but nothing ever comes of it. Yeah. <laughs> Very bizarre. And also how come the real Don Steele isn't in this? What the fuck? That, that was the most confusing thing to me. That's they even fair.
1: have reporter characters. He should
0: have been like the documentary commentator.
1: 100% he should have. I think trying to s- suss out the actual narrative threads of this movie might be not the best use of time. But but I will say... Yeah,
0: especially the first time I watched this, I was high. <laughs> so I was, I was really confused at points.
1: But I do think that um, there are a number of places where it's not clear that again i i don't even want to say in the script process the the thing is edited so haphazardly yeah. this could have been in the editing room where they're like did we cut the scene where the cops come after him because of the thing <laughs> i think we cut that scene it's like ah it's fine who cares you know like it, it just feels like there are moments where things were removed that would have given the movie just a little more context but then we would have had a longer movie and i do worry that like with more actual plot that makes sense, the movie might become more boring. And here's the thing: movie doesn't always make sense. I wasn't bored by this no, movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. This is the sort of movie where if we're at a, uh, if we're at a like a like a twelve hour
0: fest, X fest, yeah. yeah,
1: we're at X fest, and this thing comes on midday. Oh, I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, let's do this. Like it's fun. It's a fun time. But like anyone who finds it difficult to watch a movie and not think. Wait, that doesn't make sense. This this is not a movie you're going to enjoy. If you're someone who can't turn that part of your brain off, there's going to be too many little things where you go, "Wait, what? Wait, 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 what's (laughs) happening?" Uh, You know. But for me, like, I'm well aware that there are things that just, in the course of the movie, watching it, not even looking too hard, I just went, "That doesn't." What, what's that? That doesn't make sense. Like, there are multiple moments like that, but I still had fun, man. I had it's a lot It's one of those fun. movies
2: that benefits a lot from knowing about the people who made it and sure. the right. culture yes. of the people that made it. We haven't really talked in detail about the most infamous sequence in this, which is the Paul Bartel eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was Martin
0: about Scorsese. to bring that up because that scene is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tell us so all about have, it. <laughs> we have a scene where Paul Bartel is sitting... Somewhere in his ch- chateau mansion. I'm not sure. And there's a big old bucket of KFC on the on the coffee table. And he's sitting with none other than Barnes Scorsese and Sylvester Stallone. And we have no idea what their relationship is to him. I guess we can infer that they are you know, his, his lackeys, I guess. And uh, he is kind of bemoaning the fact that he's been gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And Sylvester Salone says to him, "You know you look you look great fat <laughs> it, He's just like complimenting his little pocket bear figure and uh it's just it, it it isn't a scene that really adds anything to the movie, but it's just so good. We'll, we'll play uh, a little
2: bit of the audio for that scene right here so everyone can enjoy <laughs> everything about it. Do I look like a to you?
1: No, Lester, no. no. No, nothing. Hey, Lester, you know, we got a lot of money riding on this thing. I'll make you so sure Betty's gonna deliver on with you. I gotta go back on my time. This stuff. Is hey, I'm gonna tell you something, you look very good fat, you know what I mean? It does something for you. I'll tell you something else, that creep is running for it. Don't Betty know what's gonna happen to him if his brother don't come in first? Fellas, huh? listen, I'm gonna talk to Betty in St. Louis this evening. gonna do that. If his brother's still behind, I'll lean on him a little bit. Don't worry. You got nothing to worry about. Cannonball Buckman is going to win this race one way or another. But by the way, just having
2: that KFC front and center, I mean, it's obviously a product placement thing, but it it just kind of feels like it's like, oh, we need to fit in some KFC product placement, but it's like, what are we going to do? Have someone show up at a restaurant? No, we'll have the director along with one of the most famous directors, even at that point in the world, and an actor to become one of the most famous in the world right there. KFC must have been delighted with that. (laughs)
0: can't even remember what they're because they're having they're having like they're having a, an actual they're talking shop they're having a business conversation but every so often paul Bortel will interject about you know how you know he needs to stop eating shit like fried chicken and you know he's gaining weight and this and that and uh it, it just i find it very charming and amusing it's also
2: very at odd with the character as it's presented in the movie, who is yeah. supposed to be, as you mentioned, this kind of a fed, like very uh, polished, you know, two uh, two pianos in his house. We see him, all we see him is surrounded by luxury, and there he is slumming it with these two mafiosos eating
1: fried chicken. <laughs> it, it is a nice reminder, though, that in the, in the 70s, uh, Martin Scorsese looked utterly insane. Like <laughs> every time... He looked like Charles
0: of, Manson. He just,
1: yeah, like... You see him now, or I'd say a, a big chunk of his elder years, and he just landed on this old man look that makes him just seem, like, sophisticated and interesting, and you don't remember that, like, young Martin Scorsese, like, I wouldn't give him a loan, let alone let him make a movie. Like, he just looks like a crazy person. Well, he was okay.
2: fueled by cocaine at this point. Yeah, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean,
2: this feels like a companion piece to Hollywood Boulevard, right? Which was made I think yes. right before this. Just the idea that I think the kind of the haphazardness and self-indulgency of that film, which was in that case, it was just because they were working with zero budget at all. It kind of maybe influenced Paul Bartel's maybe lack of giving a shit sometimes when it came to this movie.
0: Well, I think it goes back to that quotation that I read at the beginning of this mm. of the this episode that, you know, yep. he wasn't very interested in the subject matter. So he wanted to make it interesting for himself as a, a filmmaker. So one way of doing that was to just get all of his friends involved and just have fun with it. So, I mean, that makes part a lot of, of sense.
2: My favorite part of this quote, uh, which, which goes on a little bit from what you read, is actually when it comes to him talking about how he much he enjoyed you know, singing the song in
1: the movie. Yes.
2: And then he talked about how Joe Dante once told him that it was not only the best scene in the film, but possibly the only good scene he ever directed.
0: <laughs> I think it's a little harsh, but yeah. And and Paul Bartel goes on to point out that, you know, this was before Eating Raul was out. Yeah, so of course.
2: <laughs> I just like the I mean, they, I like the idea that they were talking shit at each other. I mean, right, if this was right. around if this was around 1981 or 1980, when the film, con- uh, 82 was the film comment, I mean, Joe Dante wasn't any great shakes. I mean, I, I, I love his movies from that time period. But what I mean is this was well before Gremlins where he became like a Hollywood director.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems to me like an obvious case of just friends <laughs> ribbing each other, but. Yeah, absolutely. As a Bartell <laughs> fan, I just feel a little bit defensive of him because, <laughs> I mean, Private Parts is a great movie, which of course he had done before this. Sure, so, absolutely. Not, but
1: who, who knows if Joe Dante had even seen it? I do got to say, though, that the Joe Dante cameo was is very charming. I thought that whole section was very
0: yes. charming. Yes, me too. He's
1: he's such a kid in it. You know what I yeah. mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. So young. I mean, Alan Arkish, too, right? I mean, just these kind of <laughs> young mid 70s guys. The fact that they get dialogue and they get a little bit of a character in it is so much fun. It just, again, it just adds to the, the kind of. Uh, having a party element that sometimes comes into this movie. Honestly, the worst time that this movie is, is whenever they have to go back to the plot.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, guys. Um, do you have anything else that you want to kind of touch on about this movie that we haven't already discussed?
2: The only thing I wanted to bring up was something that is, th- th- there's a book that we have a little bit of the information we've been talking about. It's called mind warp uh, about, um, about new world pictures around this time period. And it talks a little bit about, and something I hadn't really considered, that this movie not only directly influenced, of course, the Cannonball Run, the Burt Reynolds movie, but also very clearly influenced Smokey and the Bandit, which had the same car that David Carradine drives, has a woman in the passenger seat, which of course is not that unusual, but they even do the same jump in that movie that they do in this movie. seems like uh, at, at whatever... Uh, limitations this had in terms of its audience because it did not do very well financially that its influence was actually felt pretty significantly I mean the fact is everybody knows Smoking the Bandit everybody knows the Cannonball Run
0: not everybody knows Cannonball
2: (laughs) maybe maybe that's the case not until it gets rebooted next year or something (laughs) turned into an eight episode limited series
1: you couldn't do a movie like this now because no one would believe you could go more than one state without the cops just murdering you like, the, it, that's one of the things watching this movie. Well, then you just make me.
0: it about a cross-country cop-killing spree. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, that's true. But it's just one of those things in these movies that's always so funny to me is that, like, in the 70s, we all believe, like, look, a cop tries to pull you over. You just drive faster. You're probably fine. Like, you will probably be fine. Like, we all just were like, oh, yeah, cool. Whereas, like, now, if you put that in a script, people will be like, nah, man, fuck you. Come on. How,
2: how great is it that Robert Carradine's character, first he tries to steal a fan belt. Then they have to trick that cop who shows up to, as if it was his car. Then when the cop tries to arrest him, he steals the cop car. Yeah. <laughs> then throws the keys away so the cop gets stranded. They take off. There is no judgment in this movie. They did Great the right scene. thing 100%. <laughs> well, I mean, in the movies that we've seen so far, where does this movie rank uh, for, for Paul Bartell's films that we've talked about? This is the fourth one.
0: Um. Well, I, I did enjoy this movie. But I have to say, I think it's right now at the bottom for me, which isn't it isn't so much. I'm, I, I'm not casting aspersions on this movie. It kind of just speaks to how great I think Private Parts is and how much I really like, you know, the, the short films that we covered. Uh, and, of course, Death Race 2000.
2: The, the best thing about Cannonball... Is that its lack of success led directly into the next movie that we're going to be talking
0: yes, about. Yes, which is my favorite.
2: <laughs> Not to give anything away.
0: <laughs> I mean, I already said what it was earlier in this episode, so yeah. spoiler.
2: Well, what is it? What are we watching on the next episode of uh, Barthelme's right. Something on Good? The,
0: on the next episode of me Something Good, we will be covering his 1982 satirical masterpiece, Eating Raoul. Starring Paul Bartell himself and, of course, Mary Vornoff. And also, uh, I can't believe I literally just blanked on this fucking guy's name. Robert Beltran. Uh, yes. And also, <laughs> Robert Beltran, who uh, is also on uh, Star Trek Voyager, which I mentioned earlier because of uh, the, the Garrett Graham guest star role. But, uh, yes. So, uh, I'm very, very excited to talk about eating Ra- Raul, especially because... Correct me if I'm wrong, Liam, but you have not seen that movie.
1: I mean, most of the movies we've covered, I, Death Race 2000 is the only thing we've talked about that I've seen before. So. Okay,
0: but I'm extra excited because I think eating Raul is very much your speed and that you will really love it. So,
2: I mean, The funny I'm thing about eating Raul compared to what we've seen so far, even compared to the earlier films, is that it's the most distilled version of what I think an ideal Paul Bartel movie is. Yes. And I I haven't seen it for many, many years, but there's a reason that this movie is in the Criterion Collection. I mean, this this really does feel like the next evolution of what him as a filmmaker could be. And I think when we compare it to, you know, we had a lot of fun with Death Race 2000 and to a certain extent with Cannonball as well, but those really comparatively seem like work for higher gigs. This feels like what he really wanted to do
0: yeah and i think it's just such a brilliant commentary on the reagan era and like the whole me generation and uh you know the consumerism and 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 capitalist excess happening in that decade so well i think that about wraps it up uh i just want to thank you both again for embarking on this journey with me and being such fun co-hosts on this show i really appreciate it and i i look forward to talking with you guys so much
2: don't, don't thank us now. Thank us when we get into the mid to late 80s and we're hitting films <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> none of us are necessarily enjoying. The long
0: shot. The- <laughs> Liam, where can we find you on social media? If, if the listeners want to reach out to you on social media.
1: Oh, I mean, I I can always be found. Well, assuming Twitter exists <laughs> anymore. Yeah, who knows? They, c- they can find me on Twitter, uh, at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. They can, of course, find... CinePunks on Twitter, uh, as C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X, and uh, CinePunks is also on Facebook and Instagram, uh, and we have a Discord, uh, you can always shoot us an email. CinePunks at gmail.com if you would like to be added to our Discord to join in the discussion over there. Uh, And if you head to our website, CinePunks.com, again, C-A-N-E-P-U-N-X, we have not only more episodes of this show, but a whole family of shows uh, and merch and articles and all kinds of stuff. All kinds. What's the CinePunks Mastodon uh, name? (laughs) Oh, it's uh, I don't know how Mastodon works. If you want to
2: find the entire archive of Bartell Me Something Good go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com or you can go on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. Uh, We have a whole collection of podcasts over at cinemasmorgasport.com, including podcasts devoted to Dick Miller, who appeared in this very uh, movie that we talked about today, uh, as well as Carol Kane, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Jackie Chan. Lots of different actors and directors are covered, sometimes chronologically, sometimes not, over at cinemasmorgasport.com. You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. I'm going to be there until the wheels fall off.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at EADXBB. For any of you listening, uh, if if you're in the greater Philadelphia or Wehigh Valley area, on uh, Sunday, September 27th, at Frank Banco Alehouse Cinemas in Bethlehem, PA, I will be hosting a screening of Fassbender's The Bitter Tears of Petra Von Kant, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, It's going to be a good time. So... (laughs)
2: We'll link details of that in the show notes for people to check out as
0: well. Until next time.
2: Good night, everybody.
0: Good night.
1: Live.